0: You're listening to audio from NC Worship, the Sunday morning worship gathering of Neartown Church in Houston, Texas. Worship fully. Um, <clears throat> this Advent, as you can tell, we're going to focus on the birth of Christ. Now, looking back, we know that the birth of Christ changed the world, and I believe, we believe, that it can change the world. It's not done changing the world, the birth of Christ. And as we focus on the birth of Christ, we must really concentrate in begin losing sight of other things. I mean, think about all that we're distracted by in the holiday season. We're distracted by spending money, the money thing, right? We're distracted by eating excessively. (laughs) Maybe that's a little bit of a confession. And we're distracted by all of the peripheral things, these fictitious characters and all of these things that aren't in and of themselves bad, but they can be distracting to Jesus and to his birth and our understanding of what it means for us and our response to it to worship fully. And when we lose sight of Jesus, we do miss out. We miss out on experiencing the beauty and the power of the story. We miss out on celebrating in a way that makes the most sense. Um, And it's my hope that we will be able to worship Jesus more fully this Advent season. And so just, just, For a moment, here we are in this day of worship fully. Everybody say worship fully. Good. Um, The the word full, I mean, just think about it. Help bring some definition to you as to what we're talking about here. To worship God is to love God without ceasing forever. Um, The scripture says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Just as as I want to be loved fully by my spouse and she wants to be loved fully by me and you want to be loved fully by others and they want to be loved fully by you, God wants to be loved fully. This idea of worship, um, if you think about it, there is a longing in our world to find an object worthy of, of worship. There are some people crushed right now because their object, object of worship, the Houston Texans, has let them down. Right? Um, throughout history, we, we've seen, and maybe, maybe you can even recall in your own life, that, that uh, there's a longing for worship and that everybody worships something. Every single Person ever created has focused on something or someone else as an object worthy of honor. And and the reason that that we do this is because this is how God created us. We're created deep within we have created uh, by God to to worship. We're created to raise our hands to something. Maybe not literally, but figuratively for sure. We're created to say You are worthy of honor to something, maybe a person, maybe money, an activity. Maybe we're worshiping ourselves like you. I am worthy of honor. But as believers in Jesus Christ, as Christ followers, we believe deeply that the God who revealed himself in humanity as Jesus is worthy of our full worship. This is our confession as a church. We believe that the entire Old Testament points us to this arrival on earth and His ministry on earth makes our worship possible, and specifically the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ makes our worship of him possible. We believe Jesus is worthy of our worship because Jesus did something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. He vindicated us from the guilt of our sin. We worship God fully. I mean, We want to worship God fully, although we'll always grow in that, right? There's a story in Luke's gospel where we'll see, as we learn to worship fully, we will go in peace. That's the main idea I want you to get as we think about the scripture. Luke chapter 7 is where we're going to be. As we learn to worship fully, we will go in peace. Okay, this is a story about and um, a woman. And there's really three main characters, a Pharisee, this woman, and Jesus. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it and then um, kind of stop throughout and, and tell you what it says, okay? So this is really important to help us to understand what it means to worship fully. Luke chapter seven, verse 36. So one of the Pharisees, now we know that this Pharisee, um, a little later, is identified by the name of Simon. This is not Simon Peter who typically hangs out with Jesus, but it's a different person by the name of Simon. He's a Pharisee. Do you know the Pharisees? They're religious leaders. Uh, Jesus uh, regularly rebuked the religious leaders. And what he accused them of was, was appearing religious, appearing as if their hearts were for God, but really on the inside being dead. One time he called them like whitewashed tombs. On the outside it looked clean, but on the inside there was dead man's bones. So one of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. So Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. Now, this is important that you understand this phrase, he reclined at the table. If you were to come to my house, there are chairs around the table and you would sit with your knees under the table. But in this day, they sat on the floor and the table uh, was between them, but they would lean in. So their feet would be facing the wall on the outside of the table and they would lean in with their left arm. And so they would eat kind of leaning in. So their feet would be away from the table. That's important. Verse 37, and behold, a woman of the city. Now, just pause there. It was common for um, religious leaders to invite people into their homes, and particularly respected rabbis, and it was a custom that if the word got out that this teacher was going to be in the home of a rabbi, or in the home of a Pharisee, that people from the community could come into the home. They wouldn't be able to eat necessarily, but they could come in and sit along the walls and just listen to the discourse. They are allowed to. And here, Luke describes this person that enters the picture as a woman of the city, which sounds kind of hip, right? I mean, she's like, this is a woman of the city. Like, it's kind of a compliment. I mean, as I read it, I look at it like I just imagine that she's really hip. She's wearing those, those fuzzy boots. Are those cool anymore? I don't even know. By the way, oh, never mind. I won't get off on that. All right, um, so, so this woman of the city Um, This phrase is not meant to describe her as someone that's hip and trendy and, and cool. And in fact, we see the next phrase, she was a sinner. She was likely a prostitute. And so for her to get into this home, she kind of snuck in. We find that later that she sneaks in and her hair is down. And for a woman to be in public with her hair down, that was not appropriate at all in this day. I'm looking at all the women around here with their hair down. Luckily, that's changed. So when this woman learned that Jesus was reclining at a table in this Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster, alabaster flask of ointment. And this ointment was most likely purchased with the money she earned at her work as a prostitute, if you can imagine that. Verse 38, and standing beside him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment this This word "wet it means to drench or to to rain on his feet with her tears. Her hair is down she would just being there was scandalous, and then she approaches this rabbi as a woman, even more scandalous, and then she begins to, to, to bow at his feet and to, to weep at his feet and, and takes her hair and, 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 and uses it to wipe his feet and she's kissing his feet. Here we have an example of someone who chooses to worship Jesus fully. Now, Uh, It's important that you understand. This this is strange on a lot of levels, but we need to understand something culturally that's happening. Many people wore sandals. Their roads were very dusty. And so it was customary, uh, if you were to have a guest in your home, for you as the host to wash their feet with water, to, to clean off their feet. It's a sign of honor to them. Now, very wealthy people might have a slave washing the guests' feet. When Jesus came into this home, there's no indication that his feet were washed at all. So clearly the people in the home did not recognize him for who he is. Now, uh, this might compare to our tradition of when somebody comes into your home, what's one of the first things you do? You offer them something to drink, right? That's a way you welcome them into your home. I mean, if you're in my home after like one time, I like, the, you know, the kitchen's in there. Um, <laughs> But it's a way we welcome people into our home. We say, we say we're say we glad that you're here. You're a welcome guest in our home. And so that's what they would do in this day. Nobody greeted Jesus in that way. Another custom to honor a person um, was to anoint their head with, with oil. And, and on a rare occasion, if they were really wanting to be Honoring to their guests, they would use an expensive ointment. Now, we see later that Simon did not do this. He did not do either one of these things. But this woman of the city, a person well acquainted with her own sinfulness, exceeded the cultural standard of washing his feet with water, and she used this expensive flask of ointment. She kissed his feet, which is a sign of, of honor and worship. She acknowledged in the presence of all of these people, against all cultural, uh, what was acceptable culturally, she acknowledged that this person, Jesus, was worthy of worship in, in her way that she understood. She went beyond what was acceptable to honor him. Now, as you can imagine in this home, everybody's focusing on this. Verse 39, now when the Pharisee who had invited saw this happening, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, and we know from the language that he, by saying it this way, is insinuating that Jesus is not a prophet. He's just an ordinary man that's created a stir. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Jesus knew what he was thinking, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. So Jesus begins to tell the story that helped Simon understand what's really going on here. Verse 41, a certain moneylender has two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. Now a denarii is like one day's wage for a laborer. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, well, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Now, again, he's not just saying, hey, my feet are still dirty. What he's saying is, hey, you did not honor me. You did not worship me. You didn't even do what is what is customary for a guest. And yet this woman comes in, goes against all cultural standards, exceeds them, and, and anoints uh, me. She, she wets my feet with her tears and she wipes them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, he says in verse 45. From that time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he was forgiven, little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now, this is significant. This is really significant. The phrase, your sins are forgiven, uh, here's for the Bible nerds, is perfect passive indicative, okay? And the reason I say that it's important is because what he's saying to her is that at some point in the past, your sins have been forgiven, and, here, and then you, there are continuing effects to your sin being forgiven. There are continuing effects, something outside of you worked in your life so that your sins can be forgiven, and there are continuing effects to that. So she's saying, you are worshiping me as your Her sins aren't forgiven because she's worshiping him. She's worshiping him because her sins have been forgiven. I mean, this is why we come in here and sing songs together, Right? We come in here, and, and I really believe the richness of our worship is, is um, reflected by our understanding, by how, how, how we understand that our sins have been forgiven. If that's not a big deal to us, then worshiping God and raising our hands to God and, and saying these things to God probably are not a big deal. And, and, and Jesus saying to her, your sins are forgiven, was huge. I mean, there's several things about this situation that would have made it very awkward for this, this um, Pharisee. But, but this, above all of them, uh, created a stir because only the priest could announce God's forgiveness after a sin offering. And here Jesus is pronouncing forgiveness without, clear, without a sacrifice to God in the temple, and so this pronouncement is scandalous. What Jesus is saying is, I am a priest. I'm not just a prophet. I am a priest. I have the authority to declare that your sins have been forgiven. I mean, this is significant. Verse 49, then those who are at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Her sins have been forgiven. In response to that, she places her faith, and it has this continuing effect in her life. Now, listen to this. He says, go in peace. This is like a command. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Here's what you get. Not only do you get to worship me, but you get to go in peace. Three things, and then I'll wrap this up. First of all, worship fully means that we believe Jesus is worthy of our full worship. Here is Simon, a religious person who knew Jesus as a teacher but did not know him as Messiah. This is why he did not honor Jesus. He did not know Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior, as the one promised by God in the Old Testament to come and to begin to deliver people from um, their brokenness, to rescue them, to restore them, to to make them alive. He He did not see Jesus as that person. So he didn't honor him. did not wash his feet, did not give him a kiss of greeting, and he did not anoint his head with oil. This woman did. She, she did all these things because she saw Jesus as worthy of her full worship. In spite of what cultural standards were, she came in and she got on her feet and she wept. Worshiping Jesus means that we believe Jesus is worthy of our full worship. The question for you is Do you believe Jesus is worthy of your full worship? Worshiping fully also requires that we exceed normal forms of honor. We can think of forms of honor in our society that are really good. One of my favorite things to see, maybe you've seen this on the news recently, is like when people are coming home from war. And um, maybe, maybe think of it this way Have you ever been in the airport? There have been a few occasions I've been in the airport, and someone is, is coming home, maybe off the plane coming home from from war, and people will begin clapping. Have you ever been a part of something like that? Those are beautiful moments as an American, right? Um, that's a way we honor them, and we acknowledge that, how awesome it is that they have served and sacrificed on our behalf. I mean, that's a wonderful kind of thing. Um, and so we, we, we kind of go out of the normal. We don't clap for everybody coming off of the plane. We, we, we clap for these people because they deserve some honor. When we think about worshiping fully, worshiping God fully, we, we must consider that our worship and our behavior will exceed normal forms of honor, which, which is why we are okay with singing. I mean, how many ever? How many other um, scenarios are you in during the week where you gather with 100 people and you sing four songs? None really, right? One of the reasons we, we do this, and, and this is a little different maybe for people that are outside the church, is that... Um, we want to honor God, even if it exceeds a cultural norm. I mean, as a church body, we do things that um, exceed normal forms of honor. We, we honor God in the way we behave and act towards one another. I mean, it's really strange for a group of people to, to spend their money to help out somebody they barely know. That's a form of worship. We're exceeding what's what's a normal form of honor to God because Our behavior is affected when we see Jesus for who he is and we begin behaving in a way that's not normal to most people that are outside the church, and that's okay. Worship fully requires that we see normal forms of honor. Let me just say this, and I don't think this idea of worship fully is all about like being in the service and singing songs, but I do want to just um, say that um, I love how we as a church are growing in our understanding what it means to sing God during, during the music part. And I know some of you have church backgrounds where it was little like you go in, you sit there, and some guy sings a song, says something, whatever, and it wasn't so much about you understanding it. It was just about you going. And so here we're in this environment. Where we said, no, you know what, you being here, I mean, doesn't really, I mean, you can be here and it not mean anything, I mean, really, Honestly. So we're here together, and we want you to understand the music. We want you to understand the sermon because we believe that what God looks to, man looks to the outward appearance, but God looks to your heart, and so we want there for it to be a heart transformation. And so I just want to encourage our continued growth as we worship as a community. It's really important as people come in and we're singing songs, and, and um, it's for you to feel the permission to just be honest with God and sing loud to God, and we're praying. I mean, you can sit down, you can stand up, um, you can worship God in a way that... that um, that really that really honors him, lifts him up. I mean, there's this position that some of you might see. And it's like raising up your hands, and the reason we do that, um, I mean, I'm sitting up here and I'm looking at my daughter. She's looking at me as I'm raising my hand, and I know what she's thinking, Dad. Why are you raising your hand? Is it time for questions or something? You know, um, but but you know, you kind of do it as a way of just saying, like, I submit to you, God. Like I'm I'm worship. I want to worship you fully. I want to put right here. And as I'm saying this, I'm kind of saying, God, I'm really small, and you are really big, and I'm not exactly sure what this. Totally means, but I do know that 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 we see um, examples in the Bible of people worshiping, lifting up their hand, lifting up holy hands, lifting up to you. And so, and some of you, that's new to you, but I would encourage you to explore what that would be like during your worship. Okay, and sing, You know, you can sing loud and do anything that doesn't not distracting. Or if something you do something that brings attention to yourself, that's not worship. That's just um, weird. Um, and so don't do that, but, but worship fully, okay? And, and it's okay to exceed what's normal, you know, consider normal. All right, last one. Here we go. Worship fully happens as we understand how indebted to God we are apart from Jesus Christ. Um, this phrase in here, which really stood out, popped to me as I was reading this passage. It's a phrase, and they could not pay in the parable. One person owed 50 denarii, one person owed 500 denarii, and they could not pay. I think that's the point we have to get to in salvation. Just saying, God, I owe you. I have transgressed your holiness. I've lied, I've stolen, I've cheated. I owe you something that I could never give you. I cannot pay. That, that's like the moment right before, right before that mysterious exchange where our sin goes to Jesus on the cross and his righteousness comes to us. And I mean, you don't have to be perfect in that moment. You, what you really, in fact, are saying is I'm not perfect. I owe you. I cannot pay, God. And This is a radical new way. No longer is salvation about personal achievement or merit or performance. This is a new covenant. This is a new way that Jesus is showing us. And we must acknowledge that we're indebted to God and I cannot pay. Now, many of you have done that, some of you have not. If you're here and you've never acknowledged before God, yes, I've sinned against you and I cannot pay. I want you to hear loudly. I want you to hear that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Place your faith in Jesus. Your sins will be forgiven. And the continuing effect is that you get to go in peace. This is the gospel. So will you acknowledge today that you cannot pay? for others of you that have at some point in the past said, yes, I cannot pay, but maybe this is a good way of worshiping God in an ongoing way. It's just acknowledging, man, I am indebted to you. If it were not for the shed blood of Jesus Christ, which erases my sin, I would be lost. I would be dead in my sin. Some of you can remember that time where you were laid out in your sin. and God rescued you. Our Capacity to worship fully happens as we understand how indebted to God we are apart from Jesus Christ. We're compelled to worship when we understand that apart from Jesus Christ we're nothing. We cannot pay. Let's think about these things and pray together and prepare to take the Lord's Supper. If you're here and um, and you're have never acknowledged before God, I cannot pay for my sin, then today is the day. It's a very simple, beautiful exchange where you say to God in your heart, or you can even say it out loud, God, I cannot pay for my sin. I acknowledge that Jesus paid for my sin on the cross. That's salvation, and that's the good news. And you say, well, that sounds too easy. Well, it's because the hard work has been done by Jesus. What a way to celebrate the first coming of Christ as we long for his return, is for you to acknowledge before God that you cannot pay and that you need Jesus to be in your life. That's called salvation. For others of you in here, I I just, um, what could be preventing you from worshiping fully? And, And that could, that could mean worshiping fully. Maybe that has to do with the way your posture during the music time of church service. Or maybe worshiping fully could have something to do with the way you treat others. The way you give of yourself. Maybe the most worshipful thing you can do this holiday season is to give sacrificially to this, this work we're a part of in Ecuador. Maybe that for you is a, is, is, would be a great step of worshiping more fully. What is that for you? Thanks for listening to this message from Neartown Church. If you want to talk to someone about what you've heard today, please visit neartownchurch.org and click the contact button.